Our battered suitcases were piled on the sidewalk again. We had longer ways to go, but no matter. The road is life. Jack Kerouac on the road. We all carry suitcases filled with the flotsam and jetsam of our experiences. These satchels are that which is us. And we open them and share them in order to connect. Every road is an adventure. Every path a journey. Most are mundane and normal. Some are quite peculiar. I'm Don Hall, and these are my peculiar journeys. All right, gang, thanks for tuning in to episode 76 of Peculiar Journeys here in uh, Las Vegas. We're, we're anticipating that we are going to open the casinos, that well, casinos all over Vegas are going to open around June 4th. And so we're kind of preparing for the inevitable. Uh, you know, I, I know as a manager, I'm going to deal with 15% of the people that come in are going to be absolutely dogmatic about wearing a mask and social distancing, and they're going to be pissed at anybody that doesn't. And I am absolutely equally uh, expecting 15% will be absolutely adamantly, they think it's all a hoax, they think Obama created this virus, all that bullshit, and they're going to be just as adamant about not wearing a mask or social distancing. So I've got to kind of find a way to navigate that while still basically having everybody stick around and play and enjoy themselves. So that's that's one of the things. It's going to be very interesting to deal with. Um, recently, I, I got to have a, a meeting with my bar staff, and they're all getting ready to to deal with all of this nonsense, too. They're the front line, so they have to deal with the crazies. Anyway, my guess is that anybody that's really freaked out about the pandemic are probably not coming to a casino, but I could be wrong. I mean, there's a lot of degenerate gamblers here in Vegas, and they really are missing their buffalo slots. So anyway, along those lines, i uh, got a couple of stories that uh, kind of reflect where I'm going and how I'm preparing for really acting as sort of a mediator of incredibly differing political thoughts in a place that really has no politics to it. Oh, I'm, I'm not trying to change your mind about anything. Then what the fuck are we doing here? Like so many in the COVID-19 world, the pandemic has changed much of my perception of things I used to take for granted as, you know, normal. The amount of cash spent on food, for example, with, you know, eating in restaurants suspended for two months, I'm seeing that that practice is more luxury rather than a staple. Like countless folks, however, I didn't suddenly become a home chef concocting delicious experiments in bread making or sauces. I mean, the most ambitious experiment I've undertaken thus far is to combine a can of tuna with a package of ramen. And it was tasty, but, you know, hardly my version of beef wellington from scratch. Dana and I decided to go to a local pizza place to dine in somewhere, both to actually get out and kind of toe-dab into the pool of the new reality, as well as do some recon on what it looks like protocol-wise in other non-casino businesses. It was kind of magical. The beer was draft, the pizza was delicious, and the fact that we were out in the world was kind of novel. Another detail that has been something I've struggled with since high school. Now, I was a national debate champion and learned that at that tender age that winning the argument was the goal in most discourse. The training was such that manipulating the moment, spinning the truth, playing psychological games, whatever it took to win was the right thing to do. 
in debate, there's a judge who listens and watches and ultimately decides who won. The whole competition was performative rather than any sort of search for a common truth to build upon. I recall one, and this is just in my brain that I think is uh, interesting, is uh, I believe the topic, this was in Kansas, the topic was uh, about acetaminophen being dangerous. And and this was around the time, uh, just... I think it was probably a couple of years after the Tylenol, you know, there, there was the, the, the tampering with the Tylenol and people, a bunch of people died from it. And, you know, that, that, it was a big thing. Well, I remember going in and uh, Lynn Fillmore was my debate partner. He and I were a one-two punch. And the way we played the game was Lynn was kind of a savant. He was really smart. He could really retain a lot of information. And in high school debate, the game was you would go up, you'd have the affirmative and the the first affirmative would come up and kind of set up the case. And then the first negative would go and, and debate the case. And then the second affirmative and then the third and the, the second negative. And basically it was like, okay, we're going to, we're, we're just going to debate. We're trying to win the argument and you'd have a judge sitting in a room listening to the debate. And the way Lynn and I did it was, was that I was the one that kind of uh, obfuscated all of it. I, I, I threw out arguments that just wasted their time. They were arguments that absolutely bore no merit but they made some sort of metaphorical sense kind of thing. And uh, and then Lynn would come in with all these facts, all of these very specific information and kind of seal the deal. And he was a far better uh, fact-type debater than I was, and I was great at the bullshit. And I remember one, we had these two girls, and, and it was like, you know, the big the big debate of the day, because these two girls were just sweeping up. They were, they were, I think they were from Valley Center or Valley View or someplace, high school. And we had to go up against them, and they were affirmative. And effectively... Um, my argument was, I can't even remember too much of this, too many of the specifics, but what I did was I came up and it was about acetaminophen and it was about uh, the dangers of this drug. And they were doing a very, and the night for 1984, a very feminist sort of a perspective. And so I came up and my argument was that PMS, PMS was a mental disorder. And you know, I had no information. I literally was just pulling the argument out of my ass. I threw out a whole bunch of stuff that was really hot button and really uh, emotionally charged. And I and it they took it. I hooked them just like fish in a pond, and they went for it. Well, while they're debating all my bullshit, Lynn's just he just comes up and just gives fact after fact after fact to disprove their initial thing. So I diverted them completely from arguing their case. To to argue my nonsense and that was sort of the training that I got do anything and everything to win the debate it certainly wasn't a search for truth there wasn't a search for any kind of truth in this uh, exercise this was how we debated now 36 years, years later you know, in the wake of pandemic and economic throttling, with the now decade-old functioning of social media, I'm starting to see a starting to really start to see a problem with this and really question this practice fully. I mean, we're seeing an increase in legitimate studies about not only why we are so divided politically, but how we are dividing ourselves up. Scientific articles regarding confirmation bias, siloing of political thought, the effects of both disinformation and misinformation, as well as the proliferation of both by media, as well as partisan and international organizations. And it's all summing up to a roadmap to what becomes the dysfunction of democracy. 
The human tendency toward conflict is new. The history of tribes finding enemies and subsequently going to war with each other is just the true thread that binds us. And likewise, the history of the educated waged upon the uh, unwashed masses is as old as the Roman Catholic Church positioning priests as the only people allowed to read the Bible and thus establish the primacy of unexamined authority. Disinformation isn't new either. William Randolph Hearst was famous for being the Fox News of his day, routinely spreading disinformation via his newspaper to promote his personal agenda. Now, what's new in our collective ability to argue constantly is that we can argue constantly without ever having to come into contact with one another. Also new is our unparalleled access to information and our unprecedented ability to create false narratives and distribute them to millions in one keystroke. Oh, I'm not trying to change your mind about anything. Then why? The answer was simple. We were arguing for the sole purpose of arguing. She started by announcing her opinion. I don't think government should have ever shut businesses down. My immediate response was that I disagreed. For the next 30 minutes, we volleyed more opinions that supported our initial opinions. I threw out scientific consensus. She tossed out the idea that if there is the possibility 95% of scientists are wrong, they're probably wrong. Both of us as adamantly without budging in our perspectives as we were 30 minutes prior until I nodded and told her that my mind wasn't changed. Oh, I'm not trying to change your mind about anything. Huh? We weren't trying to persuade the other to rethink the positions. We weren't curious enough to be listening for new information from one another. We were merely arguing to win. And more pernicious was that we were arguing as if we were arguing in front of an audience, just like we would do if we were online. We ended up doing that thing you do, agreeing to disagree. Despite the attempt to just get along, what What's plagued me ever since that argument it was at the grounds of an empty casino was that we weren't in any way trying to communicate with one another. Since then, I've really been examining my interactions both on and offline to see if I'm communicating in a similar manner. I've even gone back through my history, my browser history to see, uh, uh, you know, see about online battles of the past. And a couple of insights have revealed themselves along that path. First, the desire to win in the argument is really fucking hardwired in my brain. Like the most strident of the left, I tend to use heightened vocabulary and the fact that I ingest information like a hoarder takes in Hummel figurines to beat my opponent. Second, I tend to judge the less educated with a casual disdain that automatically prevents any genuine conversation to unfold. It's an odd snobbery only countered by an equally dismissive anti-intellectual attitude which creates a spiral of posing and insults that prevent any sort of meaningful discourse. For decades in my past teaching of theater and improvisation, I always insisted that if the audience doesn't get it, it is the artist's fault, not the audience's. In these you know, one-on-one situations, whether discussing politics, culture, art, or anything else, if my goal is to change minds rather than to win the argument, I have to own the fact that if I am failing to get through to a particularly cemented opinion, it's my fault for not fully communicating my ideas, not them. Finally, and really the most damning of my insights is that I tend to tailor my win at any cost pose based upon my own bias about with whom I'm battling. 
Once someone uses the phrase fake news or spout some anti-Obama spin or mention they saw something on Fox News, my demeanor changes and I'm simply no longer communicating. I'm just bludgeoning, with, bludgeoning them with information. Now, I can't control how I am perceived, yet I can control my own perceptions. Like looking into the boring figure, the most famous of the ambiguous illusions, I can choose to see the old woman or the young, the mouth-breathing moron or the human being I need to convince at will. That's my choice. Oh, I'm not trying to change your mind about anything. Well, I am. And apparently I'm failing miserably. For some reason, I like to use the name Carl to act as a neutral placeholder for my straw man points. Jack you know, is too overused, and Carl seems racially ambiguous enough to, to go ahead and go with, but this guy was actually Carl. Now, Carl was a truck, truck driver from Washington State, parking in the truck plaza daily parking across the street and attached to the casino I manage. After checking in on the plaza staff, it is considered essential in Nevada, Carl asked me if there's anything to do in Vegas. I respond that no, we're still shut down, but it's looking like June 4th will be our reopen date. There are a few dine-in restaurants around, but no casinos or bars, no movie theaters. Unbelievable, he barks. I've just about had it with these communist governors. Full stop. Record scratch. I've been struggling with my ability to openly communicate with the other side of things. The realization that I tend toward debate and trying to win the argument isn't serving any pragmatic purpose, so I'm looking to truly communicate with people with whom I disagree. Now, Carl, he's an opportunity to practice, so... Instead of stating my opinion on his comment, I ask, which governors are communist? Cuomo, for one. What makes you say that Cuomo is communist? He pulls out his phone. He scrolls through a series of screens. Cuomo stated, and I can show you the video, when he asked what people have, who have business not, businesses not considered essential should do to feed their families and, you know, pay their bills. He said, there are plenty of essential jobs available for them. How's that communist? Well, deciding what is essential and what is not makes him a dictator. Hmm, I muse. I land upon a verbal placeholder that for the next 45 minutes served as both a self-deprecation and an opportunity for Carl to fully explore his own perspective for me. I could be wrong, but... That's the phrase. I could be wrong, but I'm not sure, what's, what, I'm not sure that's what communism is. I mean, I don't really know, but that doesn't sound right. He dives back into his phone, looks up communism, and reads for a bit. Huh. Well, I guess he isn't communist, but it's still tyranny. Interesting. Good clarification. How is it tyranny? And the game, as it were, was afoot. I refused to argue my point. I wasn't trying to win. I simply asked him questions and looked for clarifications. About ten minutes into the back and forth, Carl sussed up that he and I were on very different sides of the partisan fence. His game then became to test me, to see if he could get the argument he was now looking for. Well, I decided to only offer my own opinion on something if I first was asked. For those who know me well, you understand how almost supernatural is this feat. I, I also decided to be as blunt and plain-spoken about my answers. No quotes of facts I had read, no references to expertise. He was looking for these to dismiss, so the less I provided, the more chance he wouldn't be formulating arguments while pretending to listen. We landed on whether churches could be shut down or should be shut down during the pandemic. He was furious that any pastor would close down worship because of the government. He quoted the Old Testament from his phone and revealed that he was a fundamentalist Baptist. 
He asked me if I was atheist. I said, no. I'd say I'm agnostic. I don't believe there is a higher power, but given I'm not really in a position to know, I'm not arrogant enough to dismiss the idea altogether. This answer leaves him visibly disappointed. Oh, if you'd said atheist, I had a joke. What's the joke? Uh, what's the best atheist holiday? April Fool's Day, you know, because the Bible says that he who denies the existence of God is a fool. Get it? I smile. Yeah, I get it. I bet we totally don't agree about bo abortion. This was a fishing expedition on Carl's part. You think? What do you suppose my position is? You're probably pro-abortion. Hmm. I could be wrong, but I'm not sure anyone is pro-abortion. I mean, maybe it's just that I've never met anyone that's like, Yeah! Abortion is awesome! Well, then what are you? Oh, I'm pro-choice, but I'm pro-choice pretty much across the board. So you think bill killing babies is okay? Yep. I am in favor of killing babies. Carl isn't sure what to make of this answer. He stops moving for a moment, taking it in. Wait, what? Oh, I get the scientific debate between the fetus and the baby and when does human life really start and all that. I'm not a scientist, so it's just more honest to acknowledge that, yes, we are killing babies, and I'm okay with that. I mean, it's sort of like looking at how we deal with real people versus abstract people, you know? abstract well if you tell me your mother contracted COVID at a walmart because she thought masks were a part of the hoax and she might die for you she's a real person for me she's an abstract person don't know her never met her just met you abstract if your mom dies it doesn't affect me in any way it's like the COVID deaths in general a hundred thousand americans have died from it but that number allows me to see them all as abstract they're real to somebody but not to me I don't know anyone who's died from it. Same with abortion. Unless my wife or my niece or a friend of mine gets one, all those babies are abstract. I mean, do you care about the, what, 300 or so Indonesians killed in the tsunami in December? What? No, I didn't even know about that. Exactly. They are abstract, so we don't care. Humans are quite good at finding ways to make others abstract. Aborted babies aren't even interesting enough to be remembered, so who cares? I mean, all lives matter my ass, right? He wanted to talk about the Second Amendment and gun control. I agreed with him that the Second Amendment was sacrosanct and should be followed to the letter. Are you a member of a militia? No. And you own guns? Yeah. I could be wrong, but according to the Second Amendment, you have to be in a militia to follow the Constitution and own guns. So the government has every right to take your guns, right? That's, I mean, that's the letter of the Second Amendment. He kept bouncing from gays. Homosexuality is wrong, but I have a gay friend to Obamacare to why he ignores his GPS. It's a woman's voice, and I've been trained to ignore that sound. At around 40 minutes in, I was exhausted. This was fucking hard. I told him I really needed to get back to work, which was a lie. With the casino closed, my work at this point is that of a night watchman. I really just wanted to escape the conversation. As we parted, I offered my only unrequested opinion. You know, he said, this is how all people should talk to each other. We don't agree on much, but we're walking away as friends. I don't think we're friends, Carl. I could be wrong, but at least we're parting friendly. I don't know if I accomplished anything. I, I doubt I convinced him of anything at all, but it wasn't the typical ranting at one another. As I'm trying to get better at this communicating with the enemy sort of thing, the act of not treating him as an enemy might be the first step. In fact, the most startling thing about this entire encounter was that I simply did not notice until about 35 minutes into it that he was proudly wearing a red MAGA hat. 
And that's it for this week. Thank you so much for sticking around. I hope you're enjoying the Peculiar Journeys. And if you do, please go to Apple Podcasts and give me a quick review, maybe a couple stars, whatever you want to do. Really appreciate it. If you thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy uh, the Peculiar Journeys podcast, go to Peculiar Patreon, uh, www.patreon.com slash Peculiar Journeys. And maybe uh, consider becoming a patron and throw me a couple of bucks a month to, to help me fund doing this. Um, with that in mind, I hope, uh, I, I mean, I actually hope we do open somewhere around June 4th and you will be among the first to know that that's what we're going to do. Cause I will let you know that that's what's happening. And then we'll start stories of actual, uh, post pandemic casino stuff. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? It's going to be very strange and very interesting time. So hopefully the peculiar journeys will continue to be journeyed. This has been another episode of the Peculiar Journeys podcast. For archived episodes, go to donhall.vegas slash podcast to hear stories of Chicago, of Millennium Park, and of the big move to Las Vegas. If you dig the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and review the show. If you really dig the podcast, why not go to patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys and help fund the endeavor. Whatever you decide to do, thank you for listening, and I hope you come back for more of my Peculiar Journeys.